You ever had a Bible verse get stuck in your mind? And you know, when I say it gets stuck in your mind, I don't mean that you would rather it not be there. I mean, when it's stuck in your mind, that is, you just can't get away from it. I've, I've had a Bible verse stuck in my mind. I, I mentioned to you last week that, that I almost overlooked last week's passage for the message because I was so eager to get on to the next passage that I was really excited about. And uh, just going back, I've, I've, I found myself getting stuck on one Bible verse in the passage that I shared with you from last week. And the verse is Acts 12 and verse 24. The word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied. And as I thought about that verse, I began asking questions. You know, what does this mean? What does it look like? How does this take place? And out of that has come this week's message... I want to encourage you to be here next week because next week's that passage I've been trying to get to now for about three weeks. But, but, but in the meantime, I really believe God has, has got something for us today, the power and impact of the Bible. What is the power and impact of the Bible in our lives? Back to Acts chapter 12. At the beginning of the chapter, we kind of see that the church looked like it was in dire straits. See, the, uh, Herod was killing Christians, Herod the king. Peter was in prison, and the church was praying. It almost paints the picture there that the church is praying as the ship is going down for the last time. But we know that's not what was taking place. But that's the beginning of Acts 12, and then God shows up. You ever had God show up in your circumstances? It's an amazing thing. And so by the end of Acts chapter 12, Herod is now dead. Peter is now free, and the church is growing and praising God. We live in a day and a time where the same opposition that was coming against the church at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, that same opposition is coming against the church today. You know that. But we also live in a day and a time where the same deliverance that came to the church in Acts chapter 12 is still a part of the church today because the same God who was active then is the same God who is active now. The God who is able then is the God who is able now. We know the Bible tells us, I, the Lord, do not change, and God is able. And because of that, the choir can sing that awesome song that they sang just a few minutes ago. And I've got great confidence. I want to take just a a moment, and I want to begin uh, this time by just asking you to bow your head and to close your eyes and to pray with me. And as I pray about the power and impact of the Bible for us and for me, I want to ask you to to just, even in this spirit of prayer right now, ask the Lord to help you personally to experience the power and impact of the Bible. This may be a very real part of your life on an ongoing basis, and if so, great reminder, praise the Lord, hallelujah, but it could be that some of you here are in the midst of struggling with the power and impact of the Bible because of doubt, because of neglect, because of your circumstances. And I'm here to tell you, the power and impact of the Bible in our lives is supernatural, it's energizing, and it's life-changing. And so, Lord, this morning in these brief moments that we have, I pray that you would increase in us today the Word of God I pray that you would multiply in and through us today the Word of God. 
I pray that you would renew and, and, and Lord, make, uh, make us cognizant of the fact that the Word of God is all-powerful and life-changing and circumstance-changing. And for those of us that are wrestling and battling with circumstances of all kinds, Lord, we can find hope, comfort, strength, and deliverance as we turn to the pages of Scripture. Take now these moments we have. Use them for your glory, we ask and we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So I want to ask you this morning to, to help me think about some things related to the fact that the Bible, the Word of God, increases and multiplies. How does that happen? Well, let's start with looking at just a few of many passages in the Bible that talk about the Bible itself as the Word of God. I want to call your attention just for a moment to Psalm number 119, one of my favorite Bible passages. You may know this psalm, and you may know it well. Let me tell you a couple of things about Psalm 119. It's almost in the middle of the Bible, right, right about that time frame. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. Does anybody know, and shout it out if you know, uh, uh, the number of verses in Psalm 119? 176 verses are in that psalm. Mark, you get a gold star. See Barbara after the service. 176 verses, by far the longest chapter in the Bible. The psalm was written by someone who was, who was giving uh, a, 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 uh, a, a wonderful tribute to the Word of God. And this person took the Hebrew alphabet, and for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet wrote a tribute to the Word of God. And each section in Hebrew, if you were to read Hebrew, you would see that, that the first letter of the first word of each sentence starts with the same letter. So if you're going to do that in English, you'd start with the, the first section would be the letter A, and, and it might say, all uh, of your works are wonderful. Above all things are who you are. All people are called to know you. So the first letter, the first word, all the way through that section, the same letter of the Bible. Then it would move to the next section and the next, all the way through the alphabet. That's what it is here in Hebrew. And in every verse, almost every verse, there's a couple of exceptions, in almost every verse of this 176 verses, there is the mention of the Word of God in some form or capacity. I'm not going to read all 176 verses, Mark, but I am going to share just a couple of them with you to mention the tribute to God's Word that we find here. For example, verse number 9 of Psalm 119 asks a very important question. That is, how can a young man keep his way pure? Now, we know this. Every young man struggles with purity. Can I get a witness this morning? That's it? That's all I got? <laughs> Guys, you let me down here. Every, every young man struggles with issues of purity. Amen. But the reality is, the older I get, the more I realize every old man struggles with issues <laughs> of purity. And the more I'm involved in people's lives, the more I realize... Every woman deals with issues of purity as well. So, so how can we, how can people, how can we uh, keep our way pure? The answer in that same verse, Psalm 119.9 says, By living according to your word. The answer to purity is the scripture. Verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
I've taken the Word of God and I'm going, to, I'm going to put it into my mind and I'm going to put it into my heart and I'm going to hide it there so that as I go about my life, I'm not going, my goal is not to sin against God, but in other words, to act in accordance with God's Word. How do I know it? Because I've read it, I've thought about it, and I've tucked it away, and I have it with me at work. Not necessarily in the pages in my hand, although that's fine, but I've got it in the, in the, in the folds of my heart and so that it's ready to, to, to guide me along the steps at my job. And, and, you know, we deal with all kind of issues in our jobs, don't we? In our families. We deal with so many issues in our families. In our neighborhoods. The number of people that can't get along with their neighbors. Within our own selves. So we hide God's word that we might not sin against him. Psalm 119, verse 105. I love this one. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a what? Say it with me. A a light into my path. So the Word of God acts as a headlamp, as a, as a headlamp on, on, our, on our head or on our cars driving down the road. Just as you know, like I do, what it's like to be on a road at night, pitch black, and you've never been on that road before, and you are so thankful you've got lights to shine to show you that you're about to go over a hill or around a curve or there's a, star, a steep drop-off on your right side or your left side. Aren't you thankful for headlights on your car? In the same way God's Word does that for us as we go about navigating the darkness of our life and not knowing what's directly ahead. Verse number 160, all your words are true. Isn't that a great reminder? If I read it in the Bible, what is it? It is true. Verse 165, great peace have they who love your law. You want peace? You want peace? Love God's word. That verse goes on to say, nothing can make them stumble. Doesn't mean we won't face harsh and difficult times, but as we go through the harsh and difficult times that we all face in our human experience, we do so without stumbling in our faith, our reliance upon God, or His direction. Isn't that, isn't that good stuff? Man, I want to preach Psalm 119 all of a sudden. Well, anyway, that's Psalm 119. Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, a great verse about the Word of God. It says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible discerns or makes plain the thoughts and intentions of the heart where we often think we've got everything hidden away and nobody else can see it. And that may be true in an earthly sense, but God sees it. And He uses His Word to measure and to evaluate the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Hebrews chapter 6, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 17. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I love that visual image. And you saw Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. In, in Ephesians it says, The Word of God is a sword of the Spirit. It is our only offensive weapon in a world where the evil one is throwing darts and, and, and coming against us in all kinds of ways. We dare not take anything for our offense except for the truth of what we find in God's Word. Great stuff. So, Acts 12, 24, the Word of God increased and multiplied. The beginning things of chapter 12, things looked tough there in Acts. The end of chapter 12, things were looking, looking much better. God had moved 
And in that scenario, the word of God is increasing and multiplying. What does that look like? That's my question. See, the Bible is not just this, this thing that we read and, and it just sits up here on a shelf and speaks in, in high and mighty language and has nothing for us in the real life where we are. No, the Bible speaks to us right where we are. And so whatever you're going through, whatever your circumstances, whatever your doubts, whatever your questions, whatever, whatever you're going through right now, the Word of God is there to guide and to direct and to bring glory to God to bring peace to your soul, to bring wisdom in your time of doubt and, and decision to what you're facing and going through. That's the value that we see here. So, so how does the Word of God increase and multiply in three areas? That's what I want to ask you about today. In three areas, how does the Word of God increase and multiply in my community, in my church, and in my life? How does that happen and what does it look like? Let me start by saying to impact my community. To impact my community and yours, the Bible must first impact homes and families and businesses and schools and neighborhoods. To impact our community, it has to start there. It has to impact with salvation and with life change. Do you know the number one reason people don't go to church? Do you know that? This is surveys bear this out across the board and across the generations. The number one reason people don't go to church is because they went before. You think about that. It's true. It, it, it's humorous, but it's, it, it lets us know a lot of truth. That when people have come before, it either did not meet the needs that they felt they had. They weren't warmly welcomed in there. There wasn't a place for them when they went. When they went, and, and, and there was no reason for them to come back. That's why most folks don't go. But if, if, if the Bible impacted our community, think about an end to racism. Wouldn't that be amazing? If the Bible impacted our community, think about an end of immorality of all sorts across the board. Think about an end of abuse that takes place in many lives and homes and businesses and relationships. Think about an end to crime. Think about healing in people's lives and relationships and homes. Wouldn't you love to see the Word of God impact and increase and multiply in our community? I'd love to see that. But to do that, it must first impact my church. God has given the church to the community to be the light of the gospel. And God uses the church to impact the community. So to impact the community, God first has to use His Word to impact the church. Our connect groups, our worship service, our programs, our meeting times, our preschool, our children, our youth, our adults, our senior adults. There's got to be a stirring of the heart. And may I say this this morning? An expectancy in walking in the door. If God is going to use His Word to, to increase and multiply in our church so we can now reach our community and impact our community, there's got to be a sense that when we come, it's, it's not just, it's not just a, a check-off-the-list activity. It is a time of expectancy of what God is going to do. Let me challenge you, and you may do this every week, and that's great. Let me challenge you that, that, that going forward, that when you are preparing for Sunday, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, when you're preparing for Sunday, that you do so with a prayer that says, God, I expect that when I go to church, I'm going to encounter you. I'm looking to encounter God. I'm glad to see Bubba. 
Glad to see Eloise. I'm glad to talk about the game and the weather and all these. I'm not really glad to talk about games right now. But anyway, <laughs> all those things aside, I've come seeking Jesus. A stirring of the heart, a life change, a joy, and a celebration. For, for, for the Bible to impact my community and increase in my church, it's first got to start with me. It's got to start with me. I can't, I, I, I can't, and so many people do this, we complain that nothing is happening in our community or in our church because we fail to recognize nothing's happening in our life. What does God want to do in our lives? I'll tell you what He wants to do in our lives. He wants to stir us, and He wants to use us, and He wants to give us a story that we can tell. Like Al was singing in the choir, was singing a few minutes ago, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen. Why? Because God has done something in my soul. That's what we're looking for. So we, 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 we do these things. Now, that's my introduction to the message this morning. I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm number 19. Psalm number 19. One of my favorite passages of Scripture dealing with the Bible, the Word of God, And I want to point out to you all too quickly this morning some important things about the Scriptures and how they lead us to increase and multiply in our community, our church, and in our lives. I want to point these things out. And and what what really this message today at its very best is going to whet your appetite to go home and study this a little bit more. And I hope it will. We're going to conclude. I'm going to let you know right now. We're going to conclude with a season of prayer. And uh, for that season of prayer, I'm going to invite anybody who would like to to come and, and just gather here around the altar area to sit on the front pews. You're welcome to stay right where you are. There's nothing more or less spiritual about your physical location. It's just the attitude of your heart. And so when we get to that point, I'm just going to let you know now, you go and you, you participate in that to where you're most comfortable. So let me talk about how the Word of God increases and multiplies. The first way is when we understand what creation is. It's our starting point, all the way back to the beginning. We have to understand what creation is and what the purpose of creation is if we're ever going to to have the Word of God increase and multiply in our community, our church, and our life. Notice there in uh, in Psalm 19, we find that creation reveals who God is and who God is to be worshipped. Creation itself is not a God to be worshipped. Creation is not the God. Creation reveals the God. Verse 1 tells us, The heavens declare the glory of God. I love that. When you look outside in the daytime, when when you look outside at night, and you see the the, the bright stars in the sky, the the beautiful blue across the sky with clouds or a cloudless day, and you look on my back porch uh, over the last few days, I could look out past the snow-covered trees up to the beautiful sky and just, just be so thankful. This is God revealing Himself. But the trees and the stars and the sun and the moon, that's not God. There are those that worship creation as if creation is God. No, God created these things to reveal to us His great glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. When we look at creation, we see the handiwork of God. Isn't that beautiful imagery that we see there? And so we see that God made and manipulates creation in order to declare His glory and reveal Himself to us. That's what God does. 
He, he provides creation. He manipulates creation in order to display His glory. So that when we look at God's creation, we say, Wow. Wow. It's amazing that God did that. And it reveals to us the magnitude and majesty of God. I don't really feel like I am. I'm, I'm, I'm an amateur scientist. I'm an amateur historian. I'm an amateur a lot of things. I'm fascinated by science. I'm fascinated by the Hubble telescope and some of the, the pictures from distant galaxies. And, and you can take the Hubble telescope and, and, and when they aim it at different places, it's like looking uh, at, a, at, a, at a hole the size of a quarter 50 feet away. Is that, imagine looking through something that small 50 feet away the size of a quarter and there's all these little dots in there. Each of those dots is not a star. Each of those dots is a galaxy. Each of those dots are billions of stars clustered together like our own Milky Way galaxy. And, and I, I see those things. And I see these, these supernovas and all these things that are out there in space. And God did all that to reveal to us His glory and just who He is. So we have to understand creation and the God of creation. And that it is God who reveals to us creation in order to see the Word of God increase and multiply. Secondly... The Word of God increases and multiplies when we understand not just creation, but when we understand Scripture. Understand what Scripture is and the purpose of Scripture. There's times in my life I've thought early on as a a non-Christian and as a young Christian, I thought the Word of God has given us to punish us for doing something wrong. We have to read the Bible and try to figure out what all those words mean. (laughs) That's not the purpose of the Bible. In verses 7 and 9 here in Psalm number 19, we see... There are six labels or names given to us for God's Word. Each of those labels or names, it comes with an attribute of what God's Word is and with an effect of what God's Word does. A label, an effect, uh, a label, an attribute, and an effect. Let me run through those six very quickly, again, to whet your appetite. In verse 7, we see that the name of the Scripture is the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. The word law means a rule for regulation. God regulates our life through His law, which is His Word. Well, what is the attribute of God's law? You see it on the screen there. It is perfect. God's law is perfect. It is, it is completely blemish free and you know every once in a while this we see laws that are brought up they're on the books and it is the law of the land but they go back and they change it why because they realize it was unjust there was some flaw in it or that it no longer should apply all kind of examples of that but but god's law is perfect no blemish no never a need for change and what does it do what is the effect of god's law it revives the soul to revive means to bring life again. You ever watch one of these medical shows or, or maybe you're, you're involved in the medical industry and, and somebody comes into the emergency room or they're in an ambulance and they have no vital signs. They're, the signs of life have gone out of them. They are for all purposes dead. But you get that little, uh, uh, that little shocking thing. What do you call it? Defibrillator. You take that defibrillator and uh, you know, somebody says, clear. Boom. It doesn't always work. But you know what can happen? That heart can start beating again. 
or, or some, they're in the middle of, of a surgery or something happens and the blood pressure just drops out of the bottom and that person is gone, but all of a sudden they know exactly what to do and that blood pressure picks right back up. There's, there's all these medical things that can be done to bring life again to a physical body. And those things are wonderful, aren't they? I'm, I'm, I'm so glad we live in a day and a time and a place to have a world-class medical institution right down the road from us. Aren't you glad about that? But even more than that, we have God's law that revives not our bodies because ultimately, no matter what medicine can do, the body is going to die one day. It revives our soul. It gives life to our soul that carries us past this physical life into eternal life. How do we gain eternal life? Through the word of God. God. Secondly, also in verse 7, we see the, the Word of God is called the testimony of the Lord. A testimony. Well, a testimony is somebody who gives the expression of a personal experience. When, when God gave us the Bible, the Bible testifies to the experiences of God, to the, gives insight to the person who's given testimony, whether it's on a witness stand or, or some other capacity. A person who testifies is simply telling what they know. God testifies to us who He is, what He knows, what He's done, what the purpose of it is. God doesn't hide way on the other side of the heavens beyond the reach of the Hubble telescope. No, God comes to us and He testifies to us who we are. Notice His testimony is sure. Is sure, which means it's a steady, firm foundation. When God testifies, you know that He's not lying. When God testifies, you know that there, there, there's, some, there's not some incompleteness there that changes what it is. When God testifies to it, you know what you can do? You can be sure that it is true. You know that, right? You know that. That's what the Bible, the Bible is God's testimony to us. And what does it do? It gives wisdom, I love this phrase, it gives wisdom to the simple. Simple. The simple gain wisdom from the testimony, the sure testimony of God. Now, you don't have to do this, but if I were to ask this question, how many people here this morning know that they themselves, you know that you're just a simple-minded person? I'm going to raise my hand because that's who I am. I'm a simple-minded person. Thank you, I appreciate that. (laughs) The only way I'm ever going to have any wisdom to know right from wrong, to know what to do and when to do it, to know how to do this or how to do that, the only way I'm going to gain the wisdom needed is through the sure foundational testimonies of God. Let me rush through all too quickly. There in verse 8 it tells us, the precepts of the Lord... A precept is an authoritative rule. And you know, the, the, the Word of God is called many different things throughout Psalm 19 and 119. But here, the Word of God is called the precept. It's, a, it's an authoritative rule. And notice what it says. The precepts of the Lord are right. That's the attribute. They're right. They're correct. Let everything else be wrong. God's Word is always right. You know that, right? So, so what happens in our society when, not if, when. What happens in our society when, when God's word says, this is true, but our culture and our society say, no, instead, this is true. What do we do in there? We have to make a choice. Both can't be right because they contradict. What do we do when, when we see out in our, our culture that situational lying is okay sometimes if it gets you out of a trouble spot? But God's word says, don't lie. Always tell the truth and be 
be truthful. So, so we see that the precepts of the Lord are right, but notice what the effect is. Rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. We take the issue of lying as, as just one example. Culture may say, well, lying is okay if it gets you out of a troubled spot, and you may breathe a sigh of relief, but you won't have joy because of that. But you know what happens when you, when you depend upon the precepts of God that are right? And you say, regardless of what the world may tell me, when regardless of what the culture throws at me, I'm going to stand on the right, sure precepts of God, then I can have an experience a joy and a rejoicing in my heart and my soul that comes no other way. Well, also in verse number 8, the commandment of the Lord. A commandment. You ever been the recipient of a commandment before? A commandment is, is an authoritative rule given by somebody in authority over you. Um, we think about parenting as giving commandments. Uh, you know, you say to little Johnny, well, okay, little Johnny, you need to go clean your room. What does Johnny always say? Why? <laughs> Why? And what's the answer? Because I said, there's no room for why. I'm giving you a command and I'm in authority over you. You don't have the right to ask me why. Now, there's times to ask why. There's times to talk about it. Absolutely. But understand that, that, that when the parent says, do this, I'm in authority over you. This is for your good. You may not even understand it, but do this because I am the authority over you. In the military, it's the same way. The private doesn't say to the general, when the general says to the private, go out and, and follow this order, the private doesn't say, why? Can I get a witness, our military folks in here? You find yourself introduced to this place called the brig, right? If you don't follow the rules. The commandments of the Lord, notice the commandments of the Lord are pure. They're pure, without fault and without blemish. I, I think about water when I think about purity. You know, it's, uh, uh, if you were to, to have a, 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 a glass of water, a bottled water from, you know, the, the, the well in Arizona or, or, or Colorado, wherever it may be, and if, what if you were reading the ingredients on the, the, the bottle of water that you drink all the time, and, and you read at the bottom there, it says, some bottles may contain a drop of poison. Would you drink that bottle of water? That, may not, that drop of poison may not be, your water may be fine. Just some bottles may have a drop of poison in there, and it could cause you know, life-threatening illness suddenly. Would you drink that bottle of water? You wouldn't. But if you get that bottle of water and it says this water is guaranteed to be pure from wherever it comes from, we, we take that to be truth, and so we, we drink that bottle of water. But, but the commandments of the Lord are pure. Notice what they do. They enlighten the eyes. They give revelation. They, they help us to see things that we did not see before. They help us to see things from God's perspective that we did not see before. The, the precepts, uh, the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. I have to rush through the next couple. You can look them up at home, I hope. The fear of the Lord, verse 9. The fear of the Lord. That word fear certainly has a connotation of being afraid. Yes, it does. But used in Scripture, the word means so much more than just being afraid. The word fear means to stand in awe of. To stand before a beautiful scene in nature that you've never seen before, like the Grand Canyon. I called my buddy Mike a few weeks ago, and uh, we're talking on the cell phone. I said, man, it sounds like you're in a can. He starts laughing. I said, what, what is it? He said, I'm at the bottom of the Grand Canyon right now. I can't believe the phone signal went through. I said, well, how is it? He said, it is amazing. I've never seen the Grand Canyon. 
But you stand at the, at the Grand Canyon or some other physical feature or looking out into space, and you just say, wow, I'm in awe of this. That's the, that's the connotation of this word fear. To be in awe of, to give reverence to, to worship. And so, so it says here, the fear of the Lord is clean, and that means free of dirt and stain. And what does it do? It endures forever. The worship of the Lord is going on forever, and it impacts us by having eternal life. Notice uh, also verse 9, the rules of the Lord. The rules of the Lord. Again, regulating our conduct. They're true. And what's the effect? They're righteous altogether. The rules of God are true. When you, when you look at, a, they say an arrow, when, you, when you're judging an arrow to use it or not, you want to make sure that arrow is true. What does that mean? It means when you look down the shaft of that arrow, it doesn't wiggle as it goes along. It's true. It goes straight from one end to the other. And when God gives us His rules, His rules are straight with no wiggle in them whatsoever. And what do they do? They make us. The effect is they make us righteous. That's awesome, isn't it? The Word of God increases and multiplies. But notice we have to understand what the Scripture is. And these six labels and these six attributes and these six effects will help us to grasp the, whole, to grasp the Word of God that can be life-changing in our lives, our homes, our community, and our church. Let me thirdly remind you that the Word of God increases and multiplies when we value it. When we understand its value. We have to understand that the Bible is not just... I'll, I'll say this and I hope you'll say amen. The, 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 the value of the Bible is that it's just not any old book sitting on a shelf. <laughs> it's not just any old book. Any old book can be written. The, the, the most, the most well-read authors in the history of the world can write magnificent treaties and, and, and magnificent pages and people would, would pay lots of money to have a copy of that book uh, on their shelf or on their, in their bookcase and, and all that may be fine and well but the Bible is God's revelation to us and so we need to recognize it for that purpose and understand that the word of God increases and multiplies when we treat it like it's not just a book on a shelf but that it is truly something that we value from God. Let me give you all too quickly from verses 10 to 13 there in Psalm 19. Let me, let me give you some blessings of the Word of God. You might want to jot these down. The Bible is a source of value. Verse 10 tells us, It is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. These rules of God, these, these revelations of God, they're more to be desired than gold. And, and y'all know what gold is, right? Everybody like to have a little piece of gold? If we were passing out half, pound, half a pound samples of gold on the way out today, would you line up to get one on the way out the door? Would you get back in line and get another one if you possibly could? Get a couple of leftovers? Why? It's a valuable thing. What's more valuable than gold? God's Word is more valuable than gold. It's also a source of delight. Verse 10 again says, It's sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. The sweetest thing known in that day and probably in our day too. Honey. Honey is awesome. You put a little squeeze on, the, on your bread or your toast. You put some in your cereal. You put some on your medicine. You put it wherever you want to go. And it helps it to go down so much better, right? I'll never forget. It's been a couple of years ago now. I was having some, some throat issues. And, and Clay Eaton comes in the door. And Clay Eaton says... This will, help, this will help your throat. I said, what is it? He said, it's local honey. It's not just honey, but it's local honey. And, and there's something about local honey that helps you with issues of your throat. Clay, if I didn't say it before, thank you so very much for that because it worked. And now I've got local honey in my pantry at the house. 
sweeter than honey. That's the delight of God's Word. Also notice verse number 11, it is a source of alarm. God's Word is a source of alarm for us. It says, by them, by the rules of God, is your servant warned. Warned as in, don't go this way, it's trouble. Do go this way, it'll lead you to safety. Don't do that, it will bring God's retribution and judgment. Do, do this, it will bring God's blessing. It's, a, it's an alarm. Notice also in verse 11, it's a source of benefit. God's word is a source of benefit. In keeping them, in keeping the rules and regulations of God, in keeping them is great reward. I don't know about you, but I like getting rewards. Amen? If, 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 you know, if Pam ever finds out that a cookie as a reward will help me keep the house, well, maybe she has already found out that. I don't know. <laughs> but, but when you reward people for doing things, you know what it does? It keeps them doing that thing. And God's word, keeping God's word brings God's rewards in our life and our circumstances and we realize the value. God's word is the source of identity. Who can discern his errors? Who knows all the right and wrong things that are out there? Sometimes things look just right. It looks fine to go here and to do that, but it's not fine to do that. Why? Because it's against what God wants. How do I know? Because I read it in God's word. So God's word helps me to, uh, it's, it's a source of identity between right and wrong Error and judgment. God's word in verse uh, number 12 also is a source of vindication. I love that. It's a source of vindication. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. God's word declares me innocent from hidden faults. When, When I sin and I come to God in confession because of Jesus, do you know what happens to my sins? I'm declared innocent. I'm vindicated. Even though I'm guilty, I'm vindicated because someone has taken my place and received the, the just punishment that I deserve. Notice also, verse 13, God's word is a source of strength. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. That word presumptuous means to overstep your bounds of authority. It means to go past what you can do. If, you know, if, you're, if you're late to the ball game and the speed limit is 55 and you're doing 95... You're presuming that that gives you a good excuse so that when the, when the police officer pulls you over and says, excuse me, sir or ma'am, you're doing 95 into 55. Why is that? And you say, oh, it's no problem, officer. I'm late to the ball game. That's presumptuous, isn't it? And so the Bible, God's word, keeps us from presuming upon God in the same way. It is a source of Uh, of strength. Also, uh, verse 13 is a source of authority. Let them not have dominion over me. Don't let let, uh, uh, sins, presumptuous sins, don't let them have authority over my life. Let me have the authority of my life be God's word. And then number nine, God's word is a source of purity. When all these things are true in my life, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. That's what I want to be, blameless and innocent of great transgression. Why? Because God's word increases and multiplies in my life, in my home, in my church, in my community. That's how God moves and God stirs. Lastly, and we're going to pray, so I hope you'll plan to join me or right there where you are. We'll we'll pray together. So those of you that are playing, go ahead and and take your place if you would uh, here in just a moment. Uh, Lastly, the word of God increases and multiplies when we pray. When we pray. It's so important that we pray. It's so important that prayer be more than just 
just a, a habit or more than just a, a perfunctory thing that we do in repetition and, and quoting the same prayer day after day, meal after meal, situation after situation, but that we truly pray. Notice verse number 14 there of Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth, that's outwardly, let the words of my mouth and, and then the meditations of my heart, that's inwardly. Let everything outward and everything inward, let it be acceptable in your sight. Not in my pastor's sight, not in my mama's sight, not in my best friend's sight, not my boss's sight, not my husband or my wife. But let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight to please God above everybody else. Let, let my life, Lord, be pleasing to you. O Lord, notice the two names for God, my rock, my foundation, and my redeemer the one who's paid the penalty for my sins. If you ladies will take your place and begin to play, just softly, uh, uh, um, just as, as we have this little moment of prayer, I'm going to ask you to pray for three things this morning, if you would. I'm going to ask you to pray for the Word of God to increase and multiply. That's number one, for God's Word to increase and multiply. Secondly, I want to ask you to pray for our metamorphosis weekend. Next weekend is going to be metamorphosis Several hundred teenagers from 15 or so churches are descending on Ridgecrest Baptist Church next weekend. And we're praying that God will move and stir and work in their lives. Not just a fun activity. It's going to be great fun. Staying up late, doing crazy things. All that's going to be there. But that God will move and stir and work. So for God's word to increase and multiply. Secondly, for metamorphosis. And thirdly, for Connection Sunday. Right now, our Connect Group leaders are in a meeting. I, I wasn't just late because I got here late. I was at the first part of that meeting, meeting with them and encouraging them, and then I came in here for the worship service. The same thing is going to take place in, with, the, with our other Connect Group leaders at the beginning of our second service this morning. I'm going to be meeting with them and encouraging them also that on, all, on April the 26th, we can have a great season of connecting with people people in our roles that may not be here on a, on a regular basis, people that, that we haven't seen in a while, people in our community that may not even know we're here or they know we're here, but they wonder if, we, if they're welcome if they come. People that have come one time and they're not coming back, we want to connect with them again. So three things I want to encourage you to pray for. One is for God's word to increase and multiply, for God's word to impact lives of teenagers next weekend, and for God's word to impact our community with our Connection Sunday. So if you would, I want to ask everybody to stand, if you would. And if you feel so inclined to come up here to the front and just take your place or kneel here around the altar, I'd invite you to come and do that. Uh, you can come by yourself. You can bring somebody with you. You can come sit on the front pew if it hurts your knees to bend over too bad. You can stay right where you are. There's no, uh, there's no place more spiritual than any other place. I'm going to pray up here at the front, and you're welcome to come and join me if you'd like to do that. But we're going to take just all too brief of a moment, all too brief of a season, I want to ask you to pray for those three things. Maybe one of them sticks out to you as more important or more on your heart. You make that one your prayer. For God's word to increase and multiply. For God's word to impact teenagers at Metamorphosis Weekend. For God's word to impact our community with our Connection Sunday effort. In the stillness and quietness of this moment, as the music plays, you pray. And I want to come back in a few moments. I'll close this in prayer and we'll close out our service.